as we continue to uh, look to the Lord to give us insight, revelation, and instruction from this really powerful book. Last week we began um, taking Romans one chapter at a time. So we finished the first chapter, for those of you who, who weren't with us, and discovered there that Paul uh, very graphically presented the condition of sinful men and the fact that no one can stand before God with an excuse for not having responded to his plan of salvation. And um, towards the end of the chapter there, things get pretty, pretty black as he outlines the, the downward spiral of men who have turned their back on their God. And I want to just pick up some of that in verse... Um, um, let's begin with verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. A pretty bleak picture of men, of the fallen race of man. Yet very accurate, wouldn't you say? Now, Paul has presented a very plain, very straightforward, very hard-hitting, factual presentation of the fallen condition of men. The fact that no one is, is standing uprightly before God, that every man is a sinner and indeed comes under the judgment of God. He's not sought to prove this, he's just stated the facts. And he has been basically addressing the Gentile world. But now, in chapter 2, he turns to the Jews. And he begins to, to prove that even the Jews, even the righteous, you know, the so-called self-righteous, religious, good, nice, ethical, moral Jewish people, the ones who were entrusted with the law, that even they are without excuse before God, that they, he's, that they need a Savior. He is setting the stage for the fact that all men, regardless of whether they are Jew or Greek, need Jesus Christ. And then will follow one of the most profound declarations of the gospel to be found anywhere in the scriptures. Let's begin looking here with verse 1, chapter 2, at Paul's uh, 
presentation of proof for why the Jew needs a savior, why he is without excuse. Having said all of that be, that comes before and giving that list of vile and evil things, he says, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Now let me explain this for a minute. Those Jewish people who would read this letter that Paul has written to the church in Rome, hearing what Paul has said in chapter 1, are going to immediately understand that he's talking about those creepy, crummy, cruddy Gentiles and begin to, in a self-righteous fashion, lift their head and say, Ha! I knew it all along. And Paul says, therefore you are inexcusable. And I can almost hear those self-righteous Jewish people saying, Amen! Inexcusable! Damn them to hell! But Paul right about, right, right there, does about, an about face and turns and looks them square in the eye and says, Oh man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God? Kind of a painful situation here. You know, to have the apostle point so directly at you and say you are guilty of the same things is not a, 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 nice, a nice thing at all. And yet it's something that we all must come to, an understanding of our position before God and our need for a Savior. Even the Jew who had the law and, the, and uh, a knowledge of God needed to understand that he was in no position to judge because the things that he was judging in other people as sinful and wicked and wrong were exactly and precisely the same things that he was involved in. He says that God, we know that God's judgment is according to truth. Now why does he say that? He says that because we, as human beings, tend to judge one another, but our judgment is based on incomplete evidence. Just like the Jew who prided himself on being special and head and shoulders above the Gentile world, his judgment of those Gentiles was based on incomplete evidence. But God's judgment is based on truth. God knows all the evidence. So when he looks at you, he doesn't just see the fact that you are a Jew or a Gentile, that you are a churchgoer, that you have been baptized. He doesn't just see those kinds of outward external things, but he looks on the heart. Look to Ezekiel. Keep your finger there in Romans and look to Ezekiel chapter 8. 
This is a vision that the Lord gave the prophet, beginning at verse 8 of chapter 8. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before me seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood Jezaniah, or something like that, <laughs> the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? every man in the room of his idols for they say the Lord does not see us the Lord has forsaken the land God gave Ezekiel a picture into the inside of the hearts of the elders of Israel and he said they think that I don't see this Ezekiel and there's so many people running around today with uh, self-righteous uh, even religious cloakings they've got themselves wrapped up in stuff that looks really good but if you could see inside you'd find like Jesus said that they're just whited sepulchers they're nice and white on the outside but they're full of death you know you wouldn't want uh, you know if you were standing before a judge you would not want that judge to be able to see into your mind you want him to look at the evidence but not inside your mind but God when he judges us his judgment is according to truth because he has the ability to, to have all the evidence even the intents of our heart so Paul looks at these self-righteous uh, Jews who stand in judgment of the Gentiles and he says listen you're guilty of the same things your judgment is based on on outward externals but God's judgment is of the truth it's kind of like the story that Jesus told about the guy who was trying to uh, pick a speck out of his brother's eye but he had a beam or a log in his own eye you know I've had to have um, splinters removed from my eye twice and they take you and they, they put this stuff in you, this, um, I forget what it's called now, but this solution, they put it in your eye and then they put you under this infrared lamp and the guy comes in with a little, you, you know, a little uh, surgical, it's not really a surgical, but a, a, a medical instrument for getting those things out. It's not exactly as crude as tweezers, but it's along the same sort, you know. And he comes in there, and I'll tell you what, both times that happened, I checked the guy out to make sure he wasn't wearing glasses. <laughs> I didn't want somebody operating on, on my eyeball that couldn't see well. You know what I mean? And when the Lord uh, gave this illustration about how we're not to go picking a, a little specks in our brother's eye when we can't even see straight because we've got this big thing hanging out of our own, he was talking about this very fact about judging people. Yeah, that guy is such a creep, such a sinner. It's, kind of, it's another story that Jesus told is kind of like that where the publican and the Pharisee. Uh, the publican was a sinful man and he knew it and found himself before God on his face repenting. The Pharisee thought he was a righteous man but wasn't and refused to repent. 
and the parable goes on to say who you know who found forgiveness or who had right standing before God was it the Pharisee wrapped in all of his regal robes or was it the penitent sinning publican down on his face asking for forgiveness well the answer is obvious we have no place to judge no right to judge for each one of us is guilty before God verse 4 or do you despise the riches of his goodness forbearance and long-suffering not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance when it says to despise it means to take for granted it says do you take for granted the goodness that God has shown you the forbearance the patience the long-suffering do you take that for granted or do you recognize that God's long-suffering and patience and goodness towards you is precisely to lead you to repentance there are a lot of people listen that think that because uh, God hasn't dropped uh, a lightning bolt on their head that he is authorizing what they're doing or at least tolerating it I've had people say curse you God nothing happened God must be asleep or dead or something so I'll just go on and live my life there's a lot of people that have that attitude that you know just because God isn't blasting them and judging them instantaneously for sin and for wickedness in their life that he just he either doesn't care doesn't exist or that he's even approving of what they do I had a friend who talked himself into the fact that God wanted him to smoke marijuana God's will for his life <laughs> and you know why he, he figured that out because every time he smoked marijuana he never got caught fired in the rain down from the sky so evidently God must be approving of what he's doing now we understand that God's patience and God's long-suffering in this age of grace is not to be misconstrued as his approval of the wicked and sinful condition of men but it is to lead us to re repentance he's giving us a chance to repent that's what the forbearance and long-suffering and goodness of God is all about and so Paul says do you take for granted the fact that God has not required of you the judgment that is due do you take that for granted God is leading you to repentance but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God man that's a scary verse it says that they're they're treasuring up they're building a treasure of wrath you know it's like uh, my kids when they fill up a balloon with water you know sometimes they get carried away they see that thing expanding and oh, they go gee that's neat and it gets so big that it finally bursts and there's water all over themselves and the floor and everything else well somebody's there's gonna come a day the day of the revealing of the righteousness and wrath of God when this balloon that people are filling up is gonna burst and spill all over them and that's what it says here it says in accordance with the hardness and impenitence of your heart 
You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now does that take away from the fact that salvation is by grace, by faith alone, not by works? The fact that God would judge men according to their deeds? No. Paul is not inaccurate by quoting this passage from Isaiah and saying that God is going to judge according to deeds. He's not inaccurate and he's not invalidating his other statement about how um, salvation is by grace and by faith alone. But he is making a very plain statement that if there is not the, act, the uh, outworking, the action, the, the life-bearing as a result of this so-called or supposed righteousness that you have, then you have no righteousness. And so God's judgment will be according to deeds because they are an outflow, a fruit of faith. And I'm not going to go too extensively into that, but in James it talks about how if our faith is real, if we have living faith, it will produce works because faith without works is dead. It's like if I believe that this chair here will hold me up, but I never, I never uh, take a step based on my faith and put my fanny down in there, I really don't have any faith. Faith without action, faith that doesn't produce any works or any fruit is dead. And so Paul says, he's making the case that these Jewish people have no standing before God on the basis of, of self-righteousness because their lives don't evidence what they pr proclaim. They say they have the law, but their lives don't show it. They say they believe in God, but their lives don't show it. And so he says that they're storing up wrath Eternal life, on the other hand, is to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many ha as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now that's a real tongue twister in there. But it basically has to say this, you guys are so proud of your stinking law, but it isn't going to do anything for you if it hasn't impacted your life so that your life lines up with the law. He says, what good is it if you have the law but your deeds are contrary to it? 
isn't it better to be without the law like those poor Gentiles but live according to the law? Isn't that more important to God? It's kind of like uh, a wedding ring. A wedding ring is a symbol of a union. Now, if a guy puts on a wedding ring but he has no wife, is he married because he has the ring? Does the ring make him married? No. Can a man be married without a ring? Yes. And the Jews were saying, yeah, but we got the ring. We've got the law. But you've got no wife, Paul is saying. You've got the ring, but you've got no wife. He says, wouldn't it, be wouldn't it be better to have the wife without the ring? Because, see, this was their big beef. The Gentiles don't have the law. We have the law. Well, Paul is showing, he's proving to them their bankrupt condition by saying, yeah, you've got the ring, but you don't have the wife. And he's saying then that the Gentiles, even though they don't have the law, when their lives measure up to the law of God, that is, for, that is for them acceptable to God. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? In other words, don't you practice what you preach? You consider yourselves God's gift to mankind. God's guiding light in the universe. Don't you ever listen to what you say? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. I don't know how many times I've had people say to me that they don't want to be a part of the church because of all of the hypocrites. Well, the name of God has been blasphemed uh, blasphemed among the peoples because of the hypocrites. And I'm not pointing any fingers because I have been hypocritical. But, but Paul here is bringing um, a rebuke to them for their hypocrisy. For circumcision is indeed profitable. See, this is their other thing. We have the law and we have the circumcision. He says, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law 
will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Here we go again. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. That's pretty plain. And it's not new either. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, Moses said the same thing. A circumcision is a matter of the heart. It's really something of the heart. What happens in the flesh is only a symbol. It's like water baptism. Does water baptism save you? No. Water baptism is simply an outward symbolic act that shows the world that you have died to sin and come alive to Christ. It's an outward act that shows to the world what's happened on the inside. So it is with circumcision. Circumcision is an outward, or an outward manifestation, an outward sign of a cutting away of the flesh of a life and a, and a commitment to God. There are a lot of people running around this planet that think they're saved because somebody sprinkled some water on their head when they're several months old. Well, they're in for a shock. And Paul is just saying, there's a lot of you folks that think you're righteous before God because you, you're circumcised. Well, I got news for you. Circumcision has really nothing to do with the flesh. It's a matter of the heart. This is not nice stuff. Not edifying stuff, you know, to read about here. It's pretty, pretty much of a downer. Because you can see our own, we see our own hypocrisy in it. And we see our own uh, wanting condition. And yet Paul is, is, pre, is purposefully establishing, painfully establishing, the lost and sinful condition of all men, be they Gentile or Jew, be they circumcised or uncircumcised, whether they have the law or not the law. And he is about to begin to show that even though all men stand before God as sinners and bankrupt of any righteousness, that Jesus Christ has provided for us a standing before God that is a free gift of grace. Can't be earned, bought, or traded for, bartered for. Something that you receive by faith. So that's what we're building to here. And I think that um, aside from that, it's also a very strong lesson for those of us who tend to think of ourselves a little bit more spiritual than we ought. Spirituality has nothing to do with how many hours a day you spend on your knees in prayer. It has nothing at all to do with how many prayer meetings you attend. How many... Bible studies you go to it has nothing at all to do with how many verses of scripture you've committed to memory or how many gospel choruses you can sing 
has nothing at all to do with whether or not you smoke, drink, chew, or go with girls who do. It has everything to do with the condition of your heart. Everything to do with the condition of your heart. A Jew is not one who is one outwardly, but one who is one inwardly. <laughs>